So we have here uh, the triumphal entry, a rather appropriate text we're reading out, uh, seeing as it is at Palm Sunday. The triumphal entry is, of course, an event so pivotal, uh, so important that all four of the Gospels include it. Uh, For here we have Jesus riding into Jerusalem in a moment of glory and exaltation, and the crowds are cheering and welcoming him in. This is the arrival of the king into the city. So writ large over this account, we we see that this is the king of glory. Now, notice I I don't say Jesus was the king. Uh, Of course, I say that Jesus is the king. You know, he's not like any other royalty of the past who has simply gone. Uh, He is the king. He is the very person that we worship, the one who is uh, very much here today, the one for whom we live, the one who we would want other people to know. He is the king. And he is not just a, a, an option in the present, you know, one amongst many. Uh, he's not uh, someone that we can pick up or drop as we see fit. He is the king yesterday, today, and of course, forever. Jesus is king, and he is king whether we believe it, whether we acknowledge it, whether we like it, whether we want it or not, he is King, And it is that kingship that is at the very heart of this entry into Jerusalem. Now, Jesus was king before the creation of the world. Even when he left the throne room of heaven to come to earth, he remained king. So when he was a, a baby in Bethlehem, he was king. When he wandered Judea, he was king. When he was asleep in a fishing boat in the Sea of Galilee, he was still king. And so this moment as he enters into Jerusalem, this triumphal entrance, what is different? Well, what we have here is the king being glorified. This is the moment where he is being glorified and leading up to the the, the greatest moment of his glorification. And so the key theme really then is him being the king and being the king of glory. And these are the two things I'm going to be looking at and putting together this morning, king and glory. You see, the first thing we need to grasp when we read this text is that Jesus is the king of glory. Jesus Christ was not some sort of petty king. He was not just simply a ruler of a small and distant land. He's not even some sort of small and petty deity worshipped in just one church. He is the king over all of the earth, and that is because he is the king that comes from glory. That is, he is God. And he has a glory that that, that would naturally outshine the sun, uh, whose natural sphere is is heaven, a a place where, you know, a place of brilliance and righteousness and truth. It is the place of glory because the glorious God dwells there. And this glorious God becomes flesh, is born in Bethlehem. He lived and taught and did the most wondrous things. So when we read this passage, we are to see that this king on this donkey is the God of glory. Riding into Jerusalem. uh, The place where God said he would make his glory to dwell. Uh, And so as we read here in verse 13, we see this king of glory riding in. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna! Hosanna! 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. He comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, In other words, as Jesus enters into the city, he comes by the will of the Lord, on behalf of the Lord. Uh, That is, after all, what we saw at his baptism, the transfiguration, when the voice says, this is my beloved son, the one in whom the Father is pleased, uh, the one that we are to listen to. He comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, That means he comes to do what God is doing. Uh, Jesus comes from heaven to do heaven's work. Jesus, the Lord of glory, the King from glory. And if we're in any doubt about that, we can look at the prayer that he receives as he enters. It's a quote from Psalm 118, what the people are shouting out to him. Uh, The one to whom the cry goes out, Hosanna. Um, Hoshana. Uh, it comes from two Hebrew words, uh, Yesha and Na. It means uh, save us, Lord, and it means now. Uh, in other words, what they're doing, the people, as they're praying this out, as they're crying this out when Jesus enters in, is that they're giving a praise that God saves and a plea, save us now, at the same time. As the crowd wave their branches, this is what they cry out to Jesus, and he receives it. Uh, They recognize in that moment that Jesus was indeed the one who came from God to do God's will with God's authorization, and they cry out to him to do the work of God, for he is the king that has come from glory. Uh, But there's more to it than that, Uh, for Jesus is the king that will be glorified. So having come from glory, uh, he begins at this point. He has a week where his glory is going to come uh, to fruition, to to its its height in his humanity. You see, the second thing to note is that Jesus will be glorified. As the chapters unfold, uh, we see that uh, he is going to be glorified in the thing that is most shameful, most degrading, most humiliating, most appalling thing. He takes on the thing that is a byword for humiliation and agonizing death. He is the king from glory who will be glorified by his death on the cross. Now this is clear in in the text and as the chapters go on, this is how he's going to be glorified. This king from glory will be glorified in his death. And after all of the saving work, that he is called upon, the saving of the people, the the Hosanna that is being cried out. This is where it goes. The only answer to save me is the cross. Uh, The only way that these people can have their Hosannas fulfilled is on that journey. And it continues um, in verse 15 with a a quote from uh, Zechariah 9, where it says, you know, it tells the people to fear no more. Well, why? Why would there be any grounds not to fear? How could there be any possible hope? Well, because of the cross. When the people are told to fear no more, it is because the King of glory is going to save them. It is because the King of glory will come with salvation, because the King of glory is going to the cross. And of course, Jesus always knew where he was headed. He'd he'd said it quite uh, blatantly uh, over and over again publicly and to his disciples. And so even as the echo of the praises reverberate in his ear, he is going to the cross. Uh, Jesus doesn't die from some sort of unfortunate circumstances. 
as he enters Jerusalem, he does so with that very purpose. The purpose of fulfilling Psalm 118, where the people were quoting from when they shouted Hosanna. Psalm 118, with the Hosanna in it, it continues. Um, if I take it from, from, uh, from verse 26, so the Hosannas is in verse 25, then verse 26 and 27 says this, Blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahweh. We bless you from the house of Yahweh. Yahweh is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Now bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. Psalm 118 uh, marks a journey, uh, a journey which is leading to one place. It has one goal, one purpose, as it were, and that is the altar to the place of sacrifice, uh, to the horns of the altar where the sacrifice would be tied down and slain by the one who brought it. That is what Jesus faces as the sacrifice that will provide salvation, he enters into Jerusalem with this goal, this death, and yet he describes it as his glory. Uh, And this is a a common theme when we begin to look back, mindful of of what Christ is going to achieve on the cross. Uh, Isaiah 46 verse 13 talks about how there will be a day when glory and salvation enter into Jerusalem. This day. The crowd witnessed this very thing being fulfilled that week. John, when writing the gospel, records the way that Jesus talks of his death in verse 23. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And so the King of glory is going to be glorified in his death. This is how Jesus describes his crucifixion. The way in which he's going to be exalted in verses 22, uh, 32 and 33. And so we have the king that comes from glory, where there is no shame or death or suffering, coming to save by embracing all of those things. Jesus is the king who saves by taking on what is degrading. He is the king glorified in his body when his body is broken and his blood is shed. Now, this should make us really sit up. Uh, This is not purely uh, uh, for us to to observe at a distance that that was something about Jesus, uh, because this should make us sit up and take notice, because we too are called upon to pick up our cross. Uh, We, as we sit here, we need to really think, what does glory really mean when it comes to this world, when it comes to our lives? What sort of glory do we really seek? What is it that will stand out about the, the, that is the, the very best thing about us? What do we imagine our glory to be, our best features? What is it that you'd want to be remembered for? Jesus was going to be glorified in his death. Now, it will not look glorious. It certainly won't feel glorious. It will not be wonderful. But it is the pinnacle of his humanity when his humanity is broken. Uh, He will be at his highest when by all measurements uh, he is at his lowest. The king who comes from glory and will be glorified is because he, he, he goes and he obeys the Father. And he is glorified. He completes the work that is given to him, that work of Hosanna, that work of salvation. And so he talks about it as his hour of glory. 
So we have the king from glory, uh, who is to be glorified in his death, uh, but he is also uh, the king that is going to be glorified beyond his death. And that is a, a really important thing. Uh, you know, his, his, he doesn't end at the cross. In all of the miracles, all of the signs that John records, uh, each of them points, each of them is a sign, as, as John describes it, a signpost to who Jesus really is. Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed king of glory. Yet for all of his miracles, as he's riding into Jerusalem, there is one that is on the lips of the people as they come out. There is, there is one miracle that has actually compelled them to come and see this Jesus. This miracle that compels him to sing and cheer when he arrives. Now, it wasn't a, a, a nature miracle, like the, the calming of the storm. Um, you know, it wasn't a, a feeding, like the feeding of the, the 5,000. It wasn't, a, you know, a healing miracle when, when he heals the blind, etc. It wasn't even a miracle that shows his power over the spiritual realms and he casts out demons. There was one miracle that was on the lips of everyone there. Uh, the miracle noted in verse 17 when we talk about the resurrection of Lazarus, his demonstration of his power over death. This is the king of glory, the king who will be glorified in his death, but he is the king that has power over death. He will be glorified beyond the grave because it cannot hold him. He has power over the grave. This is the king who said at the tomb of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. This is the one who will be glorified beyond death because in him is all and any hope of resurrection. The hope of eternal glory for each and every one of us. A glory that is solid and, and substantial and real because he is the king of glory, the king who was glorified through the cross, but he is also the king who will be glorified beyond death and would raise us up to glory. Now, the reign of this king, the scope of the gift of that salvation, the, the, the offer of us being glorified, well, it goes far beyond Jerusalem. Although he is riding into that city, though that's what we're reading this very morning, uh, we recognize, of course, that he is the king of eternity, everywhere, forever. And interestingly, we see this somewhat conceded uh, unwittingly uh, by the Pharisees. In verse 19, uh, we record the words, uh, we have recorded here the words of these men, um, the ones who were most annoyed with Jesus doctrinally, the, the, most, uh, the men who were the most jealous of his popularity, the men who were just simply the most confused by his divinity. We see what they say about him in verse 19. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone up after him. It's a curious phrase. Uh, you know, why didn't they just say, oh, look, everyone's going after him? You know, why did they say the world, and, and, and maybe more accurately, it should say the whole world? Well, they, they say this because of the, the time of year. Um, this is in the run-up to Passover. And, of course, the, the Jews that have been scattered uh, all over the world, well, thousands of them are coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. Uh, you have representatives from all over the world, as it were. They're in Jerusalem, and they are following after him. 
And it means that the message, it means that what happens in Jerusalem does not stay in Jerusalem. It's going to go. It's going to go around the world. And of course, the fact that we are here today, the fact that anybody is listening to me right now is evidence <laughs> that even as far away as Aberdeen, Jesus Christ, the King of glory, is King everywhere and for all time. And that's what Jesus was talking about in verse 24 when he talks about the, 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 the death and then the seed that then goes. The fruit that produces much seed, a seed that goes through the whole world producing this life. So the triumphal entry into Jerusalem reminds us that we have then this king of glory, the king who will be glorified through the cross, the king who will be glorified beyond death, and the king who reigns everywhere, now and forever. That's the message of the triumphal entry. That's what's going on when Jesus rides into that city. And it is right that we, we, we think about that. It is right that we are reminded every year, every single year, that he is the king and not any of the other voices that would come and talk to us, none of the other authorities that would seek to control us, but he is the king. And everything else falls down to its knees before him. And yet, <laughs> you wouldn't think there could be an and yet after something like that, to be honest, but and yet... We do this thing. We have a terrible tendency to, when we read this, this text, to, be, to, to, to see Jesus and, and, and to be impressed, perhaps, but to be unchanged. And that is not acceptable, I'm afraid. Of course, our focus, first and foremost, is on Christ in every page of the Bible, in every day of our lives. Our focus should be on this King of Kings. But He is wonderful. And we are amazed, but we are to be changed by him too. And so this morning, when we see this, this king in this text, right as it is, to look at him and be in awe, we can't forget that his kingship requires something of us. Now this morning, I'm not simply content uh, to provide something interesting or, or some good teaching about a bit in the Bible, to, to, to simply talk about things as if Christ could be kept at a distance, as if because this was thousands of years ago that we are unimpacted. It's not enough to simply be given some learning that makes us feel a bit more knowledgeable about Jesus. And of course, I say that because Jesus was not content for that either. And so the triumphal entry of the king lands us in verses 25 to 26. I'll actually read it from verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servants be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, Jesus is, of course, uh, speaking in the context of himself and his death. And then it comes to us. Jesus, at this point, actually turns everything around. Everything that's been pointed to him, all the glory that he's deflected to the Father, he then suddenly turns it on to us. He says, if anyone would serve me, if anyone would follow me, then 
follow me. And so we are to follow him. And of course, where is he going? What are we called to? Well, we're called to the way of the king of glory, the way of the cross. And that means that when we think of glory, as I alluded to earlier, uh, we cannot think of glory by the measurements of the world. But according to what the king of glory, the very definition of glory, what he declares it to actually be. You see, Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you're going to change. And we're going to have to change how we measure everything. We're going to have to change how we measure our lives, how we measure success, as it were. It means that you can actually be the most glorious when the world looks at you in contempt. You can actually be the most glorious when it really doesn't look it. When it looks, according to the standards of the world, that you're not achieving anything. You can be glorious when it looks like you've lost. Your life can be glorious when everyone turns against you. And what this means, what this really means for us this morning is that we need to reset our thinking, to to be recalibrated. It's, It's great that we do this every single year, that we take our eyes, we see the king of glory, we see what glory really is, and we think, ah, that's what it really is. I need to live to what he says. I need to live to his standards. So we reset our thinking to what he says. We measure our glory to the extent that we obey the Father. Um, Verses 27 and 28 uh, that that followed our passage today says that. Uh, Now is my soul troubled, is what Jesus is saying, uh, facing his his imminent death. Uh, So now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And there are many times that we may well uh, cry out to God for him to maybe take something away, to take an hour away for, for, for something else to happen. But it is for his glory. We want it to be for his glory. And Jesus, the King of glory, when facing this moment, he sees it as a moment of being glorified. And even then, he seeks to deflect it to the Father. So too, when it comes to us, we don't do things for ourselves. Uh, When we recalibrate, when we rethink things, we're not doing it for ourselves anymore. We're thinking of the King of glory and deflecting it to him. Uh, When people speak well of us, when things go well, that is for his glory. But it means more than that. Because things do not always go well. You know, when we actually look at it in the context of the cross, in the context of humiliation, the pain that Christ goes through, in that context, when Jesus says, follow me, follow me to the cross, it means be obedient to the Father even to the end, even if it leads to humiliation in the eyes of the world. Instead, as we go through that, we say with Jesus, alongside Jesus, Father, let your name be glorified. In our obedience, let your name be magnified. So Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, points us to the King of glory, the one whom death could not defeat or the grave hold, the one who would be glorified in the cross. The one who would be glorified as salvation traverses the earth. The one who would be glorified as 
the wonder of the gospel is spread and taken on by people as far away as Aberdeen. But it does point us to a God who expects obedience, serious obedience, as we see in Christ going to the cross, who enters into Jerusalem on that donkey all the while predicting his death. All of which means that though we rejoice in the King of glory, who will be glorified through the cross, who will be glorified beyond death, the King who reigns forever and ever everywhere, that very King calls on us today. And he calls on us to look beyond the fading glories of this world, uh, to refuse to be measured by the standards of this world, to reject the vain things offered by the world, and instead to go the way of the cross, to seek the glory of the Father in the lives that lie ahead of us. And that's what it means when we really see the King of glory. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as we read this text and think of its meaning, we are indeed amazed and we do again bow the knee before the King of Kings, the King of Glory. We praise you, Lord, that, uh, that the, the King of Glory, who is to be glorified beyond death, Uh, means that we too can look forward to resurrection, that we too can take hold of that gift of life that you bought at such a price, that you offer for nothing because you have paid that price. And so, Lord, as as, as we look at that and we think of that and are convicted by that and, and as we seek to recalibrate our minds to think more along the lines of the, the thinking in the heavenly places, Uh, We pray, O Lord, that indeed you would be glorified in the lives that we live, that you indeed would be glorified with the things that we do, the things that we say, the people that we are. Pray, Lord, that you indeed would be glorified. In Jesus' wonderful and precious name, amen.